This is Mouth Media Network. Amplify and connect. I'm John McCarris, founder and president of Content Inc. Happy to be here today. And I think the thing that I love most about content is great content is pure creative. We'll talk a lot about the role between data and creativity, but it's really all about creativity. Being a connector and promoter of key players, projects, and events that advance the digital content marketplace is a key role to play as the world of content evolves. Coming up, you'll hear from a founder, consultant, executive recruiter, and connector for digital media companies and brands who lends some pretty large wisdom on the topic and whose focus is on what's next. From New York City, you're listening to Content Is Your Business. Conversations with industry leaders and influencers covering the strategy and innovation of brand storytelling. Everybody, this is Amber Mundinger. I'm here with my co-host Ritesh Gupta. How are you doing? Doing good. I'm and excited to be here, and I'm excited to be doing this uh, conversation with you. Well, looking forward to it, and welcome, John. Thank you for having me. So let's dive right in. What does the ink mean at the end of Content Ink? Yeah, well, you're very perceptive. Um, not been asked that, and was surprised that it's taken so long. So yeah. Um, it's Content Inc. as an as an INK, not INC. Um, I, I have been in this space for some time, and uh, you know, coming up on I guess 12, 12 or more years, maybe even longer. And most people know me as a proponent of content, of digital content, mm-hmm. primarily through the founding of the New Front, which is most would say the digital equivalent to the broadcast television upfronts. And I have always been a promoter of creativity, of independent content creators, and that remains part of our brand. And so, hence the the double entendre with the INK. Love it. What kind of content would you say? Like, give us, give me a metric of like the types of content that your company dabbles in. Is it sure. Instagram stories? Is it big digital films? Like, what is it? Well, you know, it's it's primarily been video based, to be honest, and that goes back to the early days at Digitas in 2007 when the agency decided that banner ads were dead, mm-hmm. and so motion media, wisely, I should say, right, right? They were amongst the first, and and of course that's that's been a, a long discussed and slow death, and maybe resurrection mm-hmm. at some level, but you know. Agencies were trying to figure out how to get past advertising and into new forms of communication. Digitas, you know, leapt into the space early and built a team called the Third Act, which I was one of the leaders of. And our task was to figure out how to connect the dots between brands and original content Mm -hmm. on the web. Mm -hmm. And this was um, the year that YouTube launched. You just mentioned that you, um, you know, founding the New Fronts. How how did that come about? Tell us a little bit about that story. Yeah, look, I was hired at a big agency with, you know, with resources to try to build a business we didn't 
have. We weren't even in the conversation. And so I decided that the smartest way to go about putting ourselves out there was to get all the smart people in the room and start a conversation that would be a benefit to everybody. And so we started doing that and putting our clients together with all the the content creators and producers who we thought would be of most use, or should I say, be the best partners. And we kind of kept ourselves out of the conversation. We just curated it. And we did that for a few years. And that turned into a business development solution. And so pretty soon we became the leaders in driving, you know, the conversation of the moment. And we had a lot of luck and we're very fortunate to have a lot of help. And the digital content new fronts became a thing. Mm-hmm. And after two or three years, we were spending, you know, almost a million dollars. We had a team of a hundred just putting on um, the new front machine. And uh, and that became a business driver for our, our content business. With Content Inc., in terms of clientele, is this sort of, you know, how do you convey that they need you? How well, do you, you know, agencies, publishers? So, so the, the truth is our, our, our business has evolved. I, I think when we launched this um, coming up on four years ago, mm-hmm. it was really intended as an advisory is really an advisory business. And um, after spending several years building a content business uh, at a large agency, you know, I became convinced that the winners in this space were going to be publishers and and either agencies were going to start acquiring distribution, which has happened in some cases, right. as you know, through mm-hmm. folks like VaynerMedia, or publishers were going to get really smart at doing agency work. And so our initial focus was helping publishers and brands um, get into the agency space, helping mm-hmm. publishers build in-house agencies like Group 9, mm-hmm. uh, which you know, which has their own version of an agency called Brand Shop. The New York Times now has T-Brand, um, T-Brand Studios, which is 300 plus people, which is not a client of ours, but which is, which is an important um, partner in the space. And then brands building studios and figuring out you know, how they're going to do that. And the truth is now what you need is a good strategy mm-hmm. and an approach to partnership that can allow you to be fast and nimble and work with all different kinds of people. Um, it's not about a lot of infrastructure. It's about knowledge and plan and relationships and flexibility. So since you've started, it's funny because as you, you've, we've all seen publishers who want to become agencies, agencies want to become publishers. And as you've seen, you know, and right now the publisher space is sort of taking a little bit of a hit and, and there's, there's a lot more competition than there was even four years ago. What are the trends you're seeing in that publisher space in, in terms of your clientele and just your overall observations? Yeah, look, I, I think we talk all day long about the duopoly now, the triopoly, if you want to include Amazon in that. And those are undeniable platform businesses that control audiences. But people still have to make stuff. <laughs> and so Amazon and YouTube and Facebook are are really not agency people and partners and business models. And so they, they need partnership. And also, um, most clients are really interested in working with ideas as much as they are in distribution. 
Um, in fact, senior clients often are more interested in ideas than they are in distribution. And so there's an opportunity to, to be focused on the ideas and to deliver for those clients. And people want to also have other partners in the mix beyond the triopoly just to kind of keep the, the playing field honest. Mm -hmm. So I think the battle is to be one of those premium publishers, if you will, mm -hmm. or evolved influencer models that can be in the conversation for what well, I think we all, you know, have to acknowledge as a as a smaller piece of the pie, mm -hmm. but still a business right. and one that will remain vital. Who do you think, like in terms of, like you say, premium publisher, like, and obviously there's a huge battle going on around that. Like, who do you think currently, from your perspective, is doing it well or is kind of like a bit of ahead of the game? Yeah, you know, after the new fronts last year, I'm often asked you know, how are we doing? And what do you think? Mm -hmm. And what is it? What is going on? It's small. It's getting smaller. It's getting disparate. I think that that annual marketplace moment reflects kind of the, the state of the industry. And last year, we had three classes of partners. One were platforms, not all of whom participated in the new fronts. Mm -hmm. Maybe this year, um, you'll see more. It's my hunch. But yeah, platforms, you have premium publishers and platforms being, you know, Amazon, Facebook, Twitter, mm -hmm. YouTube. Only two of those were in the new fronts last year. You have premium publishers who, you know, obviously the New York Times is a great example. The BBC is a great example. Vox is a great example. Not all of those are in the new fronts. Mm -hmm. um, and then you have influencer solutions like everybody from Ellen. Ellen Digital mm -hmm. to Studio 71, who all of whom are are trying to figure out a better way to connect brands with the audiences of influencers. And mm -hmm. I, I continue to believe that will that will remain an important business. As long as the audiences are there, brands are gonna be interested in trying to figure it out. Are you working actually before I ask this question, are you working with agencies as well? Um, not as much. We we get calls. And let me just before I go farther. You know, the lion's share of our business now is actually in in the talent side, in the executive search mm -hmm. space. When we started all of this at Digitas and we created, you know, a role called a content strategist, up until then, those people were really website programmers. Mm -hmm. And we built the new version of that role, which was more of a social media distribution-focused, analytics, knowledgeable, mm -hmm. content creator, community manager type of creature. And those people remain, you know, kind of the nexus of success in the content space. And yet it's really hard to find them. And so we originally started calling people content strategists, trained them accordingly, and then kept losing them to other agencies. Yeah. And so as our business, you know, got underway in trying to help you know, publishers figure out what their agency solution was and brands figure out what their studio solution was, you know, it very quickly became, well, who's going to, who, who are the people that are going to yeah. do this? So that that's, that's really a good chunk of our business now. I've been new to the advertising scene. So I've, I don't come from that world, but I've seen inside the belly of the beast and I have mm -hmm. my own observations, but I don't want to taint the jury with my own yeah, no jury. observations. Yeah. What have you seen in the evolution? Cause you also don't come from the advertising space traditionally. Mm -hmm. So what have you seen in terms of its evolution where now budgets are getting cut, client expectations are going up, but mm -hmm. their also their aggravation on budgets has also gone up. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we've seen 
consultants get in this because there's obviously been a question of fees, et cetera, going on. So what is – By consultants, you mean – The Accentures, the McKinsey's, right. mm-hmm. et cetera. Mm-hmm. So what are the trends you're seeing in terms of talent and how do the people that are listening here who are content makers and thinking about that, what are the trends you're seeing in terms of requests for talent, the skill sets they're looking for, and that level of expertise? Yeah, I, I think that um, what happened in digital – is that it challenged the traditional content creation philosophy, which used to be very sequential. You know, you come up with an idea, you think about, you know, Mm -hmm. who the talent might be that can help you get it made on both sides of the camera. You're really, you're, you're maybe somewhat focused on some sort of consumer research, but you're not thinking very much about the distribution piece because mm-hmm. in, in the linear world, in the old days, it would just get handed off to distribution. Maybe you'd go out and sell a show. You weren't sure exactly where mm-hmm. it was going to end up. Mm-hmm. And so now when you look back at that, you think, God, what a bizarre concept. Like you make all this content, you're not sure who's going to watch it. How do you know how to make it for the audience that it ultimately is going to be consumed by. Mm-hmm. So I think one of the things that digital did was it challenged, you know, people on the creative side to really understand distribution mm-hmm. and, and all that goes with that. That means the platforms, the analytics, and that gets you deeper into consumer behavior and insights. And so you have a whole different you have a whole different process now. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you talked about working for publishers and having a background working at Digitas and working in the agency world and publishers wanting to be agencies and agencies wanting to be publishers. We are now seeing brands wanting to be agencies and taking a lot of the talent in-house. What are the trends you're seeing with in-housing? Is Content Inc. dabbling at all going working, advising the brands on how to build their own teams? Yeah, I mean, we definitely have done advisory work in that space. And what was I just reading yesterday that Procter & Gamble now plans, it was either 12 or 20% of their media in-house. And that's, mm. I, I want to say that's a $1.7 mm. billion dollar media budget. It's crazy. Um, it, it, is, it is crazy. And I, I think that a, a lot of that has come from, you know, in the programmatic world after mm-hmm. it got up and running. And then there was this realization that there was really it was very hard to understand and there was very little transparency and there was a lot of money on the table. And it felt like a business that was a nuts and bolts business that was technology driven for which you could rent a lot of the tech stack. And maybe that's a smart business to have in-house because honestly, we don't understand it. Mm-hmm. And we, we may be getting screwed if, mm-hmm. if we don't figure it out. And so I think that's that's part of the trend. And then the other tr- the other part of the trend is, um, you know, the complexity around content and the need for speed. And, and also, particularly if you're in a business that's complex, you know, most of the content that's being made now uh, is in the B2B space, which you, you guys are, are well aware of. And that's because they're very complex value propositions, you know, that are really hard to communicate in a 30-second spot. But it's also hard to make that stuff in a credible way. So, you know, brands like Accenture, who have like a huge internal team of, you know, 100 plus just making content for their own giant teams also has, you know, a, a huge content business that serves clients as well. And I think, you know, just the technical expertise that is now needed 
um, is hard to find. And how do you think, like, you know, with that trend of more brands doing more in-house, like, how do you think that shifts and, I guess, pushes the agency? Like, what do you think from an agency perspective is going to, you know, force them to evolve in different ways because of that portion of their market share? Well, I think we've seen this is a long-running saga, um, and I think just about every agency has their own version of the story. You know, that's why you see digital agencies like Digitas now, you know, trying to become technology companies mm-hmm. or figuring out how they can partner to drive new revenue streams there. And you, you see, you, you see a lot of uncertainty. And I worry about agencies, um, but then at the same time. You know, you see these incredible, you know, creative ideas that get delivered that you realize, wow, at the end of the day, you know, a great consumer insight, well translated and executed can be a business game changer. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's going to go away. But, you know, so many agencies are so off course in trying to figure out what they're about. And they get big, they try to maintain their growth, and then they lose their identity, and then they lose everything. Mm -hmm. And I I think we see that all over the place. There's so much content, right? We use this word content, and I mean, 20 years ago, that meant what was on network television, in the movies, you know, know, um, cable, and now there's just billions of hours of footage on YouTube and Instagram and that doesn't even include Instagram and what, what's all over the place. In your estimation, how do you maintain quality and how does an agency or an idea, as you said, how does an idea cut through from what you see into this very crowded field? Yeah, well, you know, this is probably a whole nother podcast series in and of itself. I mean, we're in a year of the epic streaming war, right? Mm-hmm. And so you've got you know, what was Netflix owning this space now being challenged by everybody from Disney Plus to HBO Max to Quibi launching in Q1 to mm-hmm. NBC's Peacock. Mm-hmm. Forget when that's launching. And so now there's a lot of talk about, you know, can the market support all of these guys? Mm-hmm. And I think one way to think about that is that we're in the middle of an attention revolution. Mm-hmm. Consumers don't really care about who's made it what they're watching it on. You know, mm-hmm. if you have kids, you, you know that story on a day-to-day basis as kids are watching, you know, feature-length films on their phones and, mm-hmm. and breaking every rule we thought true. But I, I feel like sometimes in the industry, you know, we're very comfortable with all this lexicon, OTT, you know, multi-channel, you know, set-top access. And the truth is the consumers don't care about any of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And we, we have to figure out how to get beyond that and just focus on them. And the way to do that is to learn more about, you know, where their attention is going and why it's going there. And I think we should just be focused on that. That is the best answer I've heard in a long long time, I've got to say, as somebody who's responsible for making the content, I couldn't agree more. It is about attention and it's about grabbing attention because I I would say the same thing that in this day and age, it's very hard to do that. Well, this seems like a great time to take a break. And we have a tradition here around snack time. So I would love to hear what you've brought today. Yeah. You know, my snack got kind of foiled today. What I had originally planned to do was was make you guys some baba ganoush, which, which, you know, is, is... 
you know, one of the recipes I, I like to, to claim. In order to make it well, you, you kind of have to have charcoal. You got you got to mm. cook your eggplant over charcoal. And you don't find that very often on store shelves. So then I didn't have time to make it. So then I went, I ran down to, you know, I thought I would go to my corner Middle Eastern pita place on 17th and 9th nice. close to my office. And I showed up there, you know, ready with, I knew what I was going to order. And it's out of business. Oh, no. And I'm like, oh, man. You know, this has happened so often. These, you know, great little Middle Eastern places just don't make it. Um, so then I ended up at Fairway buying store, store-bought store stuff. Um, <laughs> Which and, will still be fabulous. Yeah. So we'll do a little, we'll do a little hummus and baba ganoush tasting. You know, my dad's side of the family is Lebanese mm-hmm. and it's part of my zeitgeist. So I, I love that kind of food and it's probably helped me stay a little younger. I love that. Let's dig in. Yeah, let's do it. Coming up, you'll hear John discuss the attention revolution and creativity. Hi, I'm Roseanne Gold. I'm a chef, an author, a food writer, and the host of a new podcast called One Woman Kitchen. So excited to be doing this because I'm interviewing the most fascinating women in the food world, And you don't even have to be interested in the food world or be part of it to enjoy these remarkable women's stories. It's diverse, it's international, it's intergenerational. What's most exciting to me is that the concept of one woman kitchen means something different for everyone. You can listen to One Woman Kitchen every week at onewomankitchenshow.com and also where all the best podcasts can be found. You know, Amber and I looked at each other after you said the words, the attention revolution. We were like, huh, okay. It's an amazing theory. And I think we all are nodding our heads because we think you're 100% right. But how do you then convince your clients? How do you teach them about the intention revolution and then get them to act in a way that's going to help their business? Well, I don't don't know that that's the job of anyone (laughs) – uh, person, agency, team, I, I think it's the reality that the whole market now needs to dig into. And I think it's going to become abundantly clear over the next few months as additional streaming services launch and the fight for attention that's going to translate into business outcomes is is in our face. And we're already, we're already seeing a lot written about it. And so I, I find it interesting that a lot of the digital companies, if you think about you know, even five years ago, there still seemed to be a stark difference in somewhat of a battle between linear and digital mm-hmm. in the video space in terms of creation and distribution. Digital seemed to have its own distinct, you know, approach to audiences and was squaring off. Linear was protecting its flank. Mm-hmm. You know, we're still getting rising CPMs. You know, we're not losing teenagers as fast as you think. But the truth is now, if we look five years forward, all of the large linear media companies seem to have some commitment to streaming. They're in the digital space. They're betting the farm on digital. And they're buying back all their rights from Netflix across the board. And now you have, you know, the streaming war, you know, in earnest. And at the same time, the digital platforms have made their way into television. And brands like YouTube now have, 
you know, their version of television, which for those who subscribe to YouTube TV, swear by it. You know, it's an incredible viewing experience. And so it's all mashed together. So I think the attention revolution um, is about, one, the consumer behavior piece, but it's also very evident in the way the market is now behaving, which is super messy. Mm -hmm. And I think we've got to take a step back and do a reset to understand how to move forward in a smart way. And this whole notion of a television upfront and a you know, digital new front being separate things strikes me as, as you know, very antiquated. That they should just all be together now at this I, point. I think so. I think so. And that will allow us to attack the problem in an earnest way and in a level set fashion because a consumer could care less. They'd be laughing at us if they looked at the last five years about how we did business. Fair. In terms of creativity, let's talk let's talk a little bit about that and you know your your perspective on what is creative. Well, I, I think and we were talking a little bit about this, you know, at the break, that I find it fascinating still that a company like Apple, which flirts with a trillion dollar valuation and one of the most revered businesses on the planet, and you know, if you read anything about Steve Jobs very little consumer research ever done. It was really all about an instinct for consumer behavior, what people um, instinctively want to do, how they respond and and how they gravitate to certain things and away from other things. And it's a very simple model to build design-driven products that result in consumer love. And how many companies have studied that have talked about it, how many consultants, how many pundits like me, you know, have have talked about it. And yet, is there another company out there that, you know, seems to have figured it out? And a lot of Apple's competitors remain unable to see creative as a top line revenue weapon and mm-hmm. are afraid to make the investments and to think of their businesses in that way and build infrastructure that can make it happen. It's still creative is seen as a cost center, not as a revenue generating machine. You distill at the end what my trillion dollar market cap I question was going to be, why? Why don't they see this when right. it's right in front of them, when a company like Apple spends so much on design? Because cre- creative is it does not it is not based in rational business decision making. You know, we talk about the relationship between data and creativity all the time. And yes, it is critical to have accurate and thoughtful consumer insights uh, when you're building great products. But at the end of the day, you know, creatives are magic Mm -hmm. and they deliver things that you didn't expect. They twist you in a direction that you wouldn't have ever forecast. And that's what results in successful business outcomes. And that relationship between the magic of creative at the very end mm-hmm. um, and, you know, the business forecast is very difficult to reconcile. So when you're selling in, you know, your clients on this idea of and creative and looking past data, because it is it's so easy to get, you know, caught up in sort of like the romantic notion of, well, all the I have all this consumer data and this reams of insights. How do you what's the message or what's the sell to your clients to why this should be a focus? Well, well, I think, you know, let's look at a company like BuzzFeed. You know, BuzzFeed has 
you know, started off as a darling of this social media revolution. And in the past couple of years has gotten the, you know what, kicked out of it because there are a lot of people that had funded BuzzFeed that aren't seeing returns that they had hoped for. Mm -hmm. If you funded a business and you expected a 40% return and you're getting a 20% return, the outcome is really bad press. And yet if you looked at BuzzFeed and looked at all of their successes, irrespective of their funding picture, you would call it an amazing business. And obviously, you know, if you talk to Jonah Peretti, you know, he still remains optimistic and mm -hmm. would see, you know, a lot of opportunity for BuzzFeed in the future. But you don't make spatulas when you're a media company out of thin air without any, you know, trial and error and risk. You know, and you can now go buy tasty spatulas in Walmart. You have been able to for, you know, for a year and a half. And that is, you know, a creative outcome and a new business line that is the result of a lot of investment and some failure. And I think, you know, back to this issue of creativity, creative outcomes require failure in order for success you know, to cement itself. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard for businesses to put a box around failure. How much failure? How expensive will be the failure? How many times are you going to fail? And I guess going back to your point to creativity and talking about Apple, on the flip side of things, like, you know, a company like Amazon that is more logistical, like driven, but also is investing a ton in studio and, and creativity in that way. Like, what do you see happening there? Yeah, I don't think that is really much of a news story, mm -hmm. to be honest with you. I think the news story is that $2 trillion companies, one is based on design and understanding consumer behavior better than anyone, and the other is based on data and understanding consumer response better than anyone. And if you look at the two of them, you know, one's honestly ugly and the other one is beautiful. Right. And so the debate is really around... But competing for, you know, the same trillion dollar mark. Yeah. And they're both giant, right. you know, and they're both relatively new. And so the fact that Amazon decides they want to build a studio to me is just yet another business opportunity. It's It doesn't reflect their core. Just selling more products. Their core zeitgeist, yeah. Mm-hmm. In terms of on the talent side, because you said that's become a big part of your company now, with your ethos on creativity, what do you look for in terms of talent when it comes to creativity? Like, Well, I, look, our clients are you know publishers, media companies, sometimes brands, associations. And I think it's more about you know what kinds of leaders who understand content and creativity in this, in this day and age – what kinds of skills do they need to have? And I think, you know, nearly every search that we engage in is a unicorn task. Mm -hmm. You know, it's somebody who understands distribution, understands if it's a marketing role, it's they need to get brand, mm -hmm. they need to know acquisition, they need to be creative and be a general manager. Most of these job descriptions, if you add them up, you know, the outcome is a nearly impossible individual. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the question is, you know, who is that small set of candidates? How can you find people that grew up in a modern way, you know, that maybe were a filmmaker that then became a social media analyst and a community manager that then became, you know, a creative leader mm -hmm. that then became a team builder that then, you know, understood, you know, all forms of media from, you know, a different angle than anybody else and get 
the notion of building profit-driving marketing outcomes and not just making cool stuff. It's mm-hmm. like curating a stable of unicorns. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like it. We, we'll, we'll have to steal use that. that. We'll settle yes. up after. Please use that. Creating a stable of, yeah. I'll license that. Yeah, I love <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, totally. Out of all of those clients that you're working with, agency versus publisher, and like trying to find this stable of unicorns, as we can call it, who do you think is finding these people well? Or is it you working with you know, these clients to help find these people. Honestly, I think our business has taken off because it is very hard. Right. And it requires a modern view. It requires somebody who's worked in the space. It's very difficult to learn this from the outside. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, you know, we got into this business, one, because it was the obvious next step for us as we were advising our clients to help them find the people that could execute and lead and build strategy, but also because there's nobody else that knows how to do it. And we knew that because we started getting calls from some of the big recruiting firms mm. asking for our time and a cup of coffee. Yeah. And, and, you know, hey, can we show up with like a, you know, notepad and an iPad and, you know, bring some of our folks because we have this assignment we don't understand. Uh, and, and, you know, over time they'll get smarter, but they will not have lived in it. True. And it, and it, and it changes too rapidly. If you want to hire somebody who knows how to monetize YouTube through content and programmatic and build a private marketplace and build a team and understand all the ad tech that goes mm-hmm. behind it. Are you telling me that like some, you know, professional recruiter who works in the healthcare space is going to figure that out? There's mm-hmm. no way. You have to be li- living in that world mm-hmm. and talking to those people. And that platform changes every six months. Mm-hmm. Fair. All right. Coming up, we're going to hear a little less about creativity and content and well, maybe more about creativity, but more about John as a person. Hi, I'm Mark Rako. I'm one of the hosts of Funny People Talking. And the other host is... Danielle Beckman, that's me. That That's the other host. And our producer is Elsie. Say hi, Elsie. Hi. Okay, so you know how I know something's funny? When people laugh. <laughs> Every time they laugh, you know it's funny. So that's the key to knowing when funny people are talking. Because when you say something funny, people laugh. And you know what? On the show Funny People Talking, people laugh. <laughs> Apparently more to me, Danielle, but you're still very funny. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Check out Funny People Talking. It's a podcast on Mouth Media Network and wherever the best podcasts are found. And it comes out every Monday. I think you'll enjoy it. Me too. Yeah. You know what happens when you enjoy it? You laugh. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network and find prior episodes at contentisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. You were telling us a bit about your background when you brought your snack. So give us a little bit more about like where you're from originally and your family. Yeah, sure. I uh, grew up in Michigan and went to undergrad and business school in the Midwest and then made my way out here after business school. And I've now been out here long enough for people to assume I'm I'm from New York and for my mother to assume I'm no longer a Michigander, which Uh-oh. I think both of which are fair. 
Um, I'm very food focused. I worked for two food magazines in my mm. career, Gourmet, which those who may remember was the original Epicurean magazine. So good. And then Saveur, where I was publisher for a year and a half or so um, before it was sold to Bonnier uh, many years ago. And both, you know, really well-regarded Epicurean titles. So I do have a lot of kind of food instincts in my blood. And my wife is half Italian, half Irish. I'm half Lebanese and half Swedish. Mm. And so there's a lot of food flying around our house mm -hmm. and a lot of yelling. <laughs> and so I do get, you know, I, I do get, you know, into food. And I've been fortunate enough to, to have gone to Lebanon, um, an amazing place, if you ever get a chance. Uh, and, you know, there are a lot of great cultures over there that are very connected, you know. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Greece is across the pond from Lebanon which is, you know, connected to a lot of other Middle Eastern countries. And, you know, most people who like Mediterranean food are open to everything from, you know, they might start with Italian and make their way to Greek. Mm -hmm. And next thing you know, they're like, you know, swimming in olive oil. Great orange juice there, by the way. I've, I've been to Lebanon. It's one of my favorite places. Oh, awesome. Mm. Unbelievable. It's on and my I, list. And I've been to India. Who knew, who knew they had great oranges there? I have no idea until I was there. Absolutely. You've sort of really navigated your way. Your career has gone through many different directions. Every step of the way when you've changed careers, what did you tell yourself was in the road ahead? And what made you brave enough to sort of take these different directions? That is a great question. Mm. And I have – I'm not sure I've ever been asked that. But as a recruiter, I think about it and uh, because, you know, part of our job is to spend time with people who are going through that journey. Mm -hmm. And it is a journey. And that's the first thing you've got to understand. And, you know, you understand that because you you went down the digital the digital road yourself. Mm -hmm. And and so you have your own story to tell. But I, I think practically speaking, you have to commit. Right. And have to decide, you know, what it is that you really want. And and if you commit, you will rise to the top uh, because most people don't commit. <laughs> most people put a toe in the water, keep, you know, an eye on the road. I tried that. I don't know. You know, it didn't work out in the first six months. I was worried, you know, money was getting low, whatever the case may be. But you've got to be creative. And honestly, the one thing that's interesting in this day and age is that you have a whole different um, mindset from an employer and an employee perspective. We, we have, you know, we have a startup business on the mm -hmm. side. I find, and I tell most senior people, we live in the, in the age of the side hustle. And, mm -hmm. and I'm not the first to say this, you know, having a side hustle is a good thing. And if you have a side hustle that is related to your other hustle, that can be even more compelling. But if you decide you're going to, you know, jump off and do something, you can figure out how to find work in a much different way. You know, the office opportunities where you might mm -hmm. um, office, you know, is a completely flexible model now. Mm -hmm. And and so I think, you know, you can go and be a consultant. And I think if you're changing careers and you can just figure out how to get a contract role, you have to get comfortable with that. But it's a lot easier than it was even 10 years ago. You couldn't yeah, really right. do that. Mm -hmm. It was either your full-time job here, full-time job there. How do you cross the Great Divide? Mm -hmm. That journey was really hard to navigate. And I think it's a lot easier now. People get it. And you can get a contract role doing something that, you know, one might be similar but different or, you know, totally different. 
you know, and the reason is because there's so much less risk on both sides. Mm-hmm. If they don't like you, they can move on. If you don't like them, you can move on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but people tend to, you know, find the good people that way on both sides. Mm-hmm. And and so I think it's easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely even more acceptable, I feel like, and just like in business culture in general, mm-hmm. you know. I think that wraps up the time that we have today. So wanted to, first of all, thank you for being here. But Thank you guys for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Yeah, this has been so fun. And would love for you to give a final thought to everybody that's uh, listening today. I think that uh, content is supposed to be a $30 billion business, and that's without filmed entertainment. That's business content. Mm -hmm. And we have seen a lot of transformation um, it used to be that you had a lot of unemployed New York Times <laughs> reporters who were mm-hmm. thinking they might go to work for Xerox as a content creator, mm-hmm. um, and they didn't find opportunities and they weren't skilled. And now a lot of those people have become incredibly depth and are able to understand the marketing opportunity. And we also have people that are coming out of school saying to themselves, I'm a journalist major, mm-hmm. and now I want to go and work for a corporation and help them build their reputation through content, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. crazy. We would have never imagined that 10 years ago. So I, I think it is it is a real business. It is going to remain a real business, and it's super exciting, and I encourage everybody to think hard about it. Amazing. And how, how can people reach you if they want to reach out? Reach me anytime, john at content-inc.com. I'm happy to talk to you. Amazing. So first of all, thank you again, John. Thank you to the audience um, and everybody for you listening. And on my behalf, uh, Amber Mundinger, thank you. And Ritesh. Thank you so much, John. Thanks for coming in. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. So fun. This has been Content Is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2020. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network and find prior episodes at contentisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. Thank you for listening.